Have you ever wondered who is doing the research that will impact your future? The Research Made Possible podcast lets you meet those people and learn how research, scholarship, and creative activity at the University of Kentucky is changing what's possible in Kentucky and beyond. Here's Alicia Gregory, Director of Research Communications. This is the second part of our podcast on the University of Kentucky EDUCE Lab, funded by a new $14 million National Science Foundation Mid-Scale Infrastructure Grant. The grant will set up a user facility for heritage science. Our first podcast introduced you to the engineers on the project. This podcast will introduce you to UK's experts in the UK College of Arts and Sciences Anthropology Department. First, we meet Assistant Professor Hugo Reyes-Centeno. It's a lifelong project for me. I was, of course, as a young child, interested in archaeology and antiquities. That went on, of course, to be uh, ultimately my major as an undergraduate in anthropological sciences at Stanford University. And from there, I moved to Europe to pursue graduate studies. So it all started as an undergrad doing fieldwork in archaeology. And I developed an interest particularly in understanding human origins. And that meant not only doing the archaeological aspects, so looking at material culture and the materials that humans left behind, but also at the fossils that they left behind and looking at the shapes of their skeletons. It's been a lifelong work. It's very exciting to integrate both the cultural components and the natural scientific components in this kind of research. I am from the U.S. I've spent most of my life in the U.S., so it's uh, somewhat of a homecoming. And I knew of Brent's work and looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls using technology that I also use. So he applies it in a cultural context primarily, whereas I apply it on a natural context, looking at fossils, looking at sediments that are found in archaeological sites. And I said, wow, there's tremendous potential to really develop something here in Kentucky. And so here we are trying to do that over the next five years initially and then uh, going forward in the long term. And we at UK are tremendously well positioned to bring in collaborations by the fact that we have all major colleges in one contiguous campus. That is a huge advantage that is not the case in most American institutions and indeed throughout the world. So that is what I find most exciting is that we can bring in collaborators from fields as may not seem so intuitive, like in College of Dentistry. So I have colleagues there at the moment where I'm developing projects and we will be using some of the technology that will be available through this infrastructure. And it is that I think there's tremendous potential to develop this here at UK. We're in a very interesting time in the discipline in the U.S. where we are seeing changes in how we look at anthropology, what the discipline means. And it seems to mean different things to many of us. I see tremendous potential to integrate quantitative analyses, to integrate new methodologies that will inform the theoretical perspectives that are the hallmark of the social sciences. So from a disciplinary perspective, there's great potential in developing this both methodological and theoretical component. And from a human resource perspective, there's a great potential to bring in student populations that are attracted to the humanities, the social sciences, and realize that there's also this avenue in the so-called STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and that we compare them very well to address questions that we're all interested in. 
I am a strong proponent of undergraduate research. It was what led me to the field and to uh, develop a strong research curriculum now as, as a faculty member, previously as a doctoral candidate. And so having that experience, particularly for students that have never even imagined it possible, is very important. And having the infrastructure to be able to do that is a very unique component. And it can draw in a lot of groups of students that traditionally would not have been able to do so. I'm a son of farm workers. I think that's the case for many of our students here as well. Never would have imagined that I would have gone into academia and to pursue some of the questions that I was always interested in. But if it were not for that undergraduate research experience that ultimately led me to Europe and to the discovery of this field of heritage science, I probably wouldn't be here now. So that's something that certainly I'm interested in developing over the long term, and that I think there is certainly the need of our students to be able to have those opportunities. Kentucky you knows perfectly placed. We're not quite South, we're not quite Midwest, and we can bring these communities together. We're also represent, of course, a, an important region, namely Appalachia. Just being geographically placed in the center and having infrastructure that normally would require to visit these two different coasts in one place will give us a, a tremendous advantage. There's, of course, a tremendously rich culture in Appalachia. A lot of it, which is what I'm interested in, is what we don't hear about uh, often, and namely Native American heritage, because as we know, most Native populations were displaced now in Oklahoma. And so bringing that perspective will be a key component in this project as well. So this is first and foremost a user facility, and users are not only researchers, my colleagues are not only uh, private companies, of course they're an important part of the user base, but it can be tribal members as well. It can be groups that are interested in understanding their heritage, particularly in the more recent time periods. And this goes, of course, along what we said before about Kentucky's rich history. So it is a very important component for us to tweak some of the research questions we have and develop completely new areas of research and uh, innovation. In academia, we often remain very isolated in our own fields, in our own departments, and even within departments, particularly in anthropology, we often have these sub-disciplines of biological anthropology on the one hand, cultural anthropology, and so forth. And it's tremendously rewarding to have collaborations between different subfields across colleges and across disciplines. And so by doing that, we're able to look at a different perspective perhaps approach a technology we would not have thought of had we been working alone. And that's, of course, going to inform the research that we do and will inform how innovation happens here at UK and in the long term in this country. The U.S. is quite behind in terms of heritage science. So I spent the last 10 years in Europe where, as I mentioned before, this is developed in very structured manner. It's well-funded at the highest levels by the European Union. Of course, there are a lot of heritage sites and a longer time period of human occupation. But prior to European colonization in the U.S., there was a long time period of occupation here by humans. And we're actually pulling back that time period. So the possibilities for discovery will really be important in this project. And the possibilities for putting Kentucky yeah, the center, of course, are really key. George Carruthers is the director of the William S. Webb Museum of Anthropology, located on Export Street in Lexington, next to the UK campus. The part of a Deuce Lab called Flex will include laboratory space at the Webb Museum, where members of the community can bring objects for analysis. 
Well, I think most people don't know much about the William S. Webb Museum of Anthropology. It's fitting that this Educe Lab is going to be associated with the Webb Museum. William S. Webb was actually a physicist, but he started the Department of Anthropology along with William Funkhauser because he was had an interest in the history and the prehistory of Kentucky. He was a native Kentuckian. But as a physicist, he understood the importance of measurement and physical properties. And that's one thing he, he emphasized. So it's fitting that it's, it's going to be at the Webb Museum because he would understand probably more than anybody how important good techniques, good technology, good measurement is to science. I got involved in this project through uh, Hugo, who's one of the co-PIs. He's in our department, a new colleague in the anthropology program who does some pretty high-level human evolution research using some high-end equipment. And he knew that already at the Webb Museum, we had a geophysical program, archaeological geophysics. So we used some high-tech equipment to measure properties of the ground to help us identify where and what might be buried before we excavate. Sometimes we can avoid excavation. I'm an archaeologist who concentrates in eastern North America, and I'm interested in the transition to early agriculture among the native populations who were here. And these are, for the most part, small, carbonized, hard-to-identify objects. And within Kentucky, it's probably a well-kept secret, is we have some of the best collections that relate to this question of the first agricultural populations in, in eastern North America. We have some amazing sites with extremely good preservation. And so the Webb Museum, which is primarily a research center, it's not your classic bricks and mortar, large displays. And so we maintain the collections for the state of Kentucky for research purposes. So these are projects that occur on federal or state land and some private land. So it's excavations that have been done by the University of Kentucky, and it's also consultants and other institutions in the state doing archaeology. So we're recognized as one of only two federally recognized locations in the state to curate collections. It's going to impact what we do in the museum and in archaeology in general because it's providing us access to some of the most sophisticated and high-level equipment that, in the first case, is very costly, either purchase or even to get access to the equipment because it's owned by someone else. You have to pay for time. So the kinds of questions we want to look at that will allow us to measure things or analyze materials in new ways that we've always known we could do, but didn't always have the resources or the access to the equipment that we could do this. So it's only limited by our imagination of what kinds of new things we can do with access to this equipment. And that means both in the lab, the bench sciences, as they say, things that we have in the collections now that we can pull out and look at in different ways, as well as taking equipment into the field where objects or artifacts cannot necessarily be removed from their surroundings or their context and brought into the lab. And that's what a lot of what I do is the geophysical survey I do is something you have to go out into the field to collect data. All kinds of new ways of doing that with GPS linked data, remote sensing technologies that can be put on drones and flown at low level altitude to collect measurements on the ground surface. LIDAR is a big one, that magnetometry. There's going to be a number of new instruments that we can employ almost immediately in the field. I, I can come up with a dozen projects in a matter of minutes that I'm ready to apply this equipment when we have it. Of course, it still takes some money to get the equipment out into the field and where it needs to go to do that. And it takes the expertise of people 
in the College of Engineering who understand how to use these and keep these equipment in their top-notch form, calibrated and whatever else needs to be done to keep them performing at their top level. So it's a good combination of interdisciplinary cooperation between the College of Engineering and the College of Arts and Science and the Department of Anthropology. Well, we have a number of objects. They're fairly common at certain time periods. These are what are called grooved axes, or in this case, it's actually a grooved wall. So it was more for breaking things and crushing things. But what's interesting about these objects is, and we have a number of them in the collection, typically for something that for cutting or heavy work like that, you want something that's a very strong stone, like a granite. And many of these things are made out of granite or other hard stones. Well, these are made out of what appears to be a relatively soft stone called limonite which is common in Kentucky. It's basically iron ore. It's what gets turned into iron ore. So it looks like they're shaping these objects first into artifacts, and then they're heating them to extreme temperatures. And if our hypothesis is right, we think they're basically turning the outer layers of this stone into iron. It's not directly iron production or metallurgy, but it's the beginnings of understanding the properties of a material that can be later becomes iron working. Now, in North America, the civilizations over here never developed full iron production. They did work with a lot of metals, but mostly in their raw form. But this is actually, could be some of the earliest evidence of experimenting with materials that later is used to produce iron metallurgy. We wanted to use the CT scan to see if we could see the inner layers of this. So if it is a limonite and it's being heated, the outer surface is being turned into iron but the inner part of the rock stays limonite. They're not heating it enough that they can actually turn the entire object into iron. And so we 